Coming up today... What we are, we are seeing here is uh, it's a leadership crisis inside our country. Transparency Solomon Islands says a lack of consultation has made people anxious about a potential security agreement with China. The scale of what they're proposing is uh, unprecedented and, and the destruction will be as well. More concerns about deep sea mining as now forges ahead with plans to dig up its sea floor in 2024 and we catch up on the latest in a long-running court case in French Polynesia involving the pro-independence leader Oscar Timaru. Transparency Solomon Islands says a controversial security MOU being brokered between Honiara and Beijing is yet another sign of a leadership crisis in the country. The Pacific Island nation has drawn criticism from Australia and New Zealand after a draft copy of a security agreement being brokered with China was leaked last week. Transparency's chief executive in Honiara, Ruth Lilongula, says locally there has been no consultation around the move and people are anxious about intentions of the Prime Minister Manase Songovare and his Our Party-led Democratic Coalition government for advancement. She joins me now. Thank you, Tomas, for sitting with me, Fala Ruth. So, this security MOU saga is the latest thing to catch international media attention, but it comes off the back of a long list of controversial policy decisions, doesn't it, that have been pushed through despite concerns voiced by members of the public. The initial switch from Taiwan to China going back to 2019, the unrest last year, which again required a regional security intervention to quell, and more recently the government's moves to extend the life of parliament from four to five years effectively giving themselves another year in office. What is Transparency's view on the way this government has been going about its business? I think uh, this is to be expected, that nobody knows exactly what our party's policies and um, uh, plans are when we went into election in 2019. So you've got to go back to 2019 when this our party was not a party then. And there was only three people that were uh, members of this party that contested, but they were only uh, um, con- they contested as um, independent uh, uh, candidates. And then after the election, as you know, we had these uh, uh, people open grass hopping from one party to the next one, and we have this current uh, government, executive government that is exercising government power at the moment. So right at the very beginning, everybody was worried about why exactly is the um, in the policies and programs of this particular uh, group of people because they did not have the mandate from the people on any of the policy. It was not something that was an election card, but on the first go, as you know, straight after, uh, this uh, Taiwan and China relationship came in and uh, we got this relationship with China that was not a subject for election. And then um, most lately, all the um, programs or policies that they brought before the parliament or that they are doing, like the extension of parliament. And now we have this... Uh, MOU or the agreement that they are proposing to have with uh, 
China Communist Party, Solomon Islands does not have anything against Chinese people. But it's this uh, agreement that uh, Solomon Islands executive government is proposing and is having with this the Chinese Communist Party that is a concern to everyone, but they are not able to input into it. They've been labeled by their prime minister as Tom, Dick, and Ari. They stop being people when they uh, demand to be consulted on this extension of parliament and other issues that uh, has come up. The prime minister has gone publicly to call them. He doesn't want to consult with Tom DeCanari, so the citizens have become Tom DeCanari as well. So nobody in here in Solomon Islands is uh, really knows what is going on, but when you take a look at it, Solomon Islands is not having any wars with anyone that we needed to be dependent. What we are actually seeing is the Chinese police officers are now training our police police officers in here on how to use the gun to shoot us whenever we protest and demand for a democratic right. And so this military agreement or security agreement for uh, transparency, Solomon Islands, and also in the minds of many others, this is aimed at at things shooting its own people if they uh, so did protest at all about any of the things that they do not agree with. Because... When you see the extension of parliament, they said it's for the South Pacific Games. They cannot run these two big events in one time. The Electoral Commission is not doing anything, having any plans to run the election. From Transparency Solomon Islands' perspective, these are all areas that are under the influence of government. They can change it if they want to change it. They can always move the South Pacific Games to... The following year, they can always resource the Solomon Island Electoral Commission, and uh, all of these things is within their their power to do because they are the ones who are actually expending public funds and all of that. They've expended last year 6.8 million per constituency that went through each member. So this is something else. It's about them staying in power maybe to make sure that this China agreement really establishes in Solomon Islands and to really equip our police officers maybe to to shoot us whenever we protest. It is sad, and people are really, really frustrated. They are not happy, but it's for them, it's not a game. They have the number. They don't have to consult anybody. They can just do anything they want. And basically, people in Solomon Islands cannot hold the government to account Access to justice is just unaffordable. And uh, coming into the relationship with uh, with China, there was a big, big talk about you know no strings attached about all of these games, infrastructure, the 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 hundreds of millions being poured into to developing the the games infrastructure for the games, uh, just about it being just a gift from China. But uh, would this kind of agreement, uh, the MOU, referring to the MOU directly now? Um, coming in, do you think we're actually starting to see some of the strings attached to, to what uh, what is the cost of all of this money that the Solomon Islands government is receiving? There's strings always attached. You know that there was a, a, a little bit of political instability with words of no confidence. 
China provided 250,000 for each to keep the government going. And then in terms of the SP game, they're saying that we will make big money out of it. But it's just this year that they're starting to employ some people. And then, of course, we have the COVID-19 transmission now in the country. We have dilapidated state of healthcare. Who would want to send the athlete to this country? I, I don't know. But the strings attached are there. I mean, during the time that this debate about the switch was on, Transparency Solomon Islands was very vocal about this corrosive um, capital being poured into the country. But what we are seeing in play at the moment is the soft power. Do you think um, the government is aware of of the impacts and of, of where it's placed itself in terms of being the focus of attention of Australia and, and the US and um, New Zealand in terms of concerns about China's presence in the Pacific? They are aware of all of that, but they they just don't care. That's what we are seeing here. They just don't care, and I think some of them are using it. It also looks like if we do this, somebody will fall into this country, this other much amount of money. How far will that go? It won't go very far. It's expecting others to do the work that they should be doing for our country through these unprofessional relationships. But I think what scares most of the people in this country is the fact that they are training our people on the use of guns for crowd control and you know there won't be any protest if the government listens to the people and come up with options hear their concerns it is when they are frustrated that they go on this protest business and the police our police is is really down i mean we have so many years of ramsey but uh, as we said when ramsey existed we said that we will not we will still continue to need the, our police capability to to be built up. Thank you. Thank you for those insights, uh, Ruth. My final question is, uh, you mentioned Ramsey there. Um, this this MOU, the security MOU, has uh, resulted in a lot of criticism uh, for New Zealand government here in New Zealand and, and Australian government from their oppositions in terms of whether they're doing enough in the region. Do you think the 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 leaning towards China for security and all of this thing is is a reflection of New Zealand and Australia not doing enough in this space. I don't I don't think that is the case. That's the easiest excuse to bring in. But what we are we are seeing here is uh, it's not a leaning towards the, all of those, but it's it's a leadership crisis inside our country and those they're surrounding themselves with to look at the bigger picture. And people also are fighting for to stay in employment. There is lack of employment. Uh, yes, Ramsey was here and it did a great job, but I think it spread the um, resources very thinly in so many areas uh, when, from some of us, it could have concentrated on the ability of the, the police. I mean, it, it happened, but it did not stick. It has not stick yet when they left. The question we ask now is the geopolitics aside, this country's leadership, does, does it think that the security and safety of people in Solomon Islands is, is more important or the relationships that they have? And to think that, you know, by, by doing what they are doing now with this agreement, that it will build security in Solomon Islands, I think it is in the wrong, wrong place. And, and the, the, the thing is, 
And why should other countries worry about us if we continue to act this way? Our leadership. This is why we people are strongly are against the extension of the parliament. They want to go to the polls to all their leaders to account and to to vote. But is the government listening? No, it's not listening. Concerns are again being raised about the fast-tracking of the pathway to mining the seafloor in the Pacific. The International Seabed Authority is into its second week of meetings in Jamaica, continuing with work towards finalising rules and regulations for the controversial future industry. The whole process has been initiated by Nauru, who last year triggered a legal loophole called the two-year rule by notifying the authority of its plans to start mining. Joining me is Ocean's campaigner Phil McCabe from the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition. Kira, Phil, the last time we spoke, the implications was that this process, already accelerated as it is, would actually take some time. But that's being sped up yet again, is it, with this meeting in Jamaica? Yes, it is. It's, it's the meetings at the International Seabed Authority um, in Kingston, Jamaica, and with Nauru triggering the two-year rule in, um, in June last year, which which basically, um, you know, pressures the international community to, to, you know, finish regulations and issue a mining license within two years. Um, the, the, the process is being fast-tracked and, and, and negotiations around the laws and, and everything are being rushed. Yeah, so it's in, it's in process right now. Uh, week one finished, uh, last, ran last week and that's over and week two starts tomorrow morning. Now, before we go into to your calls on, on the New Zealand government and and their place in all of this, what happened in week one? Um, it was there was uh, discussions around. This is this is the council meeting, so it's a, a, um, around thirty. I think thirty six governments are there at the moment, and in July there will be a, a bigger meeting where the whole membership of one hundred and sixty seven countries plus the EU will be present. Um, but last week. They covered uh, the financial matters, like how, you know, where proceeds from from mining these nodules in the Pacific will go, um, and and the whole process of that. And there's there's very little agreement around how that should happen, um, and and a, and, a, and you know an important uh, point came up around the the models around the economics of this completely omitted or didn't include. The environmental costs that will that will come about, you know, the loss of loss of natural capital, the loss of bio, um, sorry, ecological services um, from the environment, and so there's a real there was a lot of um, concern around that by by the countries who were there. Um, so that that was talked about for the first two days, and the second two days were uh, on environmental aspects, and again, huge concerns coming up around the environmental uh, implications of this. And um, what has, has New Zealand's input been so far, and, and uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, New Zealand, to their credit, they're engaging uh, meaningfully now, um, and, and, and that is good. And the, the concern is that New Zealand understands that this activity cannot go ahead without causing serious harm, yet the line that they're taking, the middle ground, middle-of-the-road approach, is is to feed into the regulations and get the regulations completed so that, you know, uh, and, and what will happen if the regulations are completed is that um, 
seabed mining will start in, in the company that wants to push it ahead, Nauru's um, partner in this, uh, the metals company, formerly Deep Green, they are saying to the world that we want to start mining in 2024. And we know that, that you know, the, the scale of what they're proposing is uh, unprecedented and, and the destruction will be as well. Thank you. And and your call on, on the New Zealand government, what is, what is, it, what is the position yeah. you think they should be taking? Well, you, you know, this... We, we, we don't know enough about the environment. We, we know that the damage will be significant, long-lasting and, and widespread. Um, and New Zealand knows this. They need to just put a pause on this process and we need to rethink. Um, the, the ISA as well is, is uh, unfit for purpose. It's, it's set up a long time ago and it's not um, you know, appropriate for the, for, the, for the 21st century. And New Zealand needs to call for a moratorium. They need to show leadership in the region and globally and and call for a pause in this process. Thank you, Phil. And you have experts on the ground in, in Jamaica at these negotiations we're hoping to hear from throughout the week. Uh, yes, yes, correct. We, uh, we have uh, legal, political and scientific experts there um, and, and we'll be dialing in um, and, and discussing with them and getting updates on, on what's going on. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time, Phil. Thank thank you for that and look forward to, to the meeting tomorrow as well. Thank you, Koroi. A court case in French Polynesia involving the pro-independence leader Oscar Timaru has been deferred for a fourth time as questions remain about the funding of his defence lawyers. Three years ago, he and two others were given suspended prison sentences and fines over the funding of Radio Tefana, a community station in Tahiti. The Court of Appeal was due to finally hear the case, but it has been put off again over fundamental questions surrounding his defence team. My colleague Walter Zweifel has been following the story and he explains what the original case was all about. The case goes back to 2019 when Oscar Temaro and two others were accused of abusing public funds by subsidizing Radio Tifana, which is a community station in Fa'a. It was suggested that there was abuse of public funds because this radio station was partial and only benefited the politics of Oscar Temaru. The lawyers in court tried to say that there is no proof, no evidence whatsoever. There was no example quoted of where there would have been a partisan position. But anyway, in the end, the radio station, that is its managers and Oscar Temaru, were convicted in the case of Oscar Temaru of so-called undue influence. That is, it was deemed that the funding given to this radio station profited Oscar Temaru. The result was uh, a conviction and was his first ever criminal conviction. The lawyers had thought that the case would be thrown out. However, with the conviction, they have now gone to appeal. And what we've had is four deferrals of this trial. But it turns out there were issues with the defence lawyers. While the appeal was being prepared, the French prosecutor decided to open a new investigation alleging that the money that was paid to the lawyers uh, was to be paid by Oscar Temaru personally and not the community council. The community had agreed to fund the defence of Oscar Temaru. As a result, the public prosecutor uh, managed to get uh, an order and seize the savings of Oscar Temaru. He got $100,000 blocked. Um, Oscar Temaru uh, then, of course, tried to overturn this. He initially went on a brief hunger strike and he took the 
public prosecutor to court because the public prosecutor had already said that Oscar Temaru was guilty of this undue influence uh, charge. But under the French system, unless it's gone through all the courts, that is also the appeal courts, there is still the presumption of innocence. So Oscar Temaru took the prosecutor to court for accusing him of being guilty when he wasn't. Uh, this then was supposed to go to trial in Tahiti, but one thing or other, they decided that the courts in Tahiti were not impartial enough to be able to deal with this, and it was decided it had to go to a court in New Caledonia. But then COVID came, and uh, the case could not be transferred to New Caledonia. In part, this has been resolved. The trial in Noumea has never gone ahead to figure out whether Oscar Timaro was in fact uh, unduly accused of uh, uh, breaking the law, but uh, the investigation chamber in French Polynesia uh, concluded that the decision by the public prosecutor to seize that money, that was a step too far, and has now uh, instructed uh, the authorities to unblock the account and, and make this money available to him again. Thank you, Thomas Walter, for that insight, bringing us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. I also just wanted to say a big thank you to Alicia Foon and the rest of our team for holding things down in my absence. Leanaola Kwagamdondoro. <laughs>